Hey, Virginia, this is Shane with I Love Virginia Beer Podcast. I Love Virginia Beer is your home for all the behind-the-scenes information for Virginia's wonderful world of craft brewing. On today's show, we are here with Kevin Erskine, owner and president of Coelacanth Brewing Company. You have over 13 years of industry experience in the wine, uh, beer, and spirits industry. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about how that journey came to be for you and how you ended up here at Coelacanth Brewing Company. Well, I started out uh, with a real job uh, years ago. Uh, I was a consultant with a management consulting firm, and um, I had a couple of assignments into liquor industry. And I really like that industry. It's real interesting. It's not yeah. like every other industry. So I kind of stuck with that, even though I left that management consulting job and moved in to pay the bills to healthcare. Um, so I was still consulting on the side because I'd made a lot of contacts. Um, and I was doing stuff mostly in the whiskey industry. So I had okay. a lot of contacts over in Scotland, but I was helping Scottish companies get set up in the U.S., uh, promote themselves. Uh, this was around the time, believe it or not, when um, the Internet was just getting big with social media. Uh, and I knew how to use that. Yeah. So they would rely on me to help them with those types of initiatives. Um, I wrote a couple of books on Scotch. Uh, I was a judge in the International Wine and Spirits Competition over in England, so I was really embedded in the scotch industry. Still had a job on the side, but I spent all my personal time, and I had a lot because of this job I had. I had some crazy <laughs> five weeks of vacation. I spent a lot of time in Scotland, and I started learning how to distill. So I started with a small company. They taught me how to still, distill over there, and they do things the old-fashioned way in, in most of these small distilleries, uh, and I really liked it. Fast forward a few years, I had another job, um, and uh, I, I was really tired of it. And I said, you know what, uh, I've got to get out of this rat race. I really like the alcohol industry. I'm going to uh, open a brewery. Um, and so I did, and here we are. <laughs> so how did you transition from whiskey, really, into craft brew? Well, you know, what's interesting is that most people in whiskey, you know, we like whiskey and we drink it, but we drink a lot of beer, right? That's and true. so when I was in, in um, and, and, and the method for making whiskey and making beer is really similar, surprisingly yeah. similar, up to a, a certain point. So I was living in Richmond, which has uh, become, you know, one of the East Coast meccas for, for, for beer over the past few years. But this was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of the guys who own breweries now are my friends. Um, and we used to just go to places like Mekong and drink beer. And, you know, you, you just kind of become a big beer fan. Okay. Um, a good friend of mine, Neil Burton, owns a, a, a brewery called Strange Ways, and we used to hang out and, you know, travel around and drink beer, and, you know, you just kind of get into it. So while I was, uh, I, I was part owner of a, whis of a vodka distillery in Richmond, um, and that didn't pan out. Okay. But uh, so I was, you know, one of the first people in our little group of beer lovers to actually become embedded in the industry. Okay. You know, and then other guys, you know, would open bottle shops out there or get into distribution. But a lot of them ended up with breweries. Good friend of ours, uh, Ami, his name's Ambui. He calls himself Kong. He owns Mekong. You've probably heard about it. Yeah. Ended up opening the answer. You know, that's where we go on Thursday night just to drink beer and listen to On. So it was an easy move for me. You know, you love alcohol. Beer, beer is sort of the nexus of that, and here we are. It's certainly the one you can you can just drink. I mean, That's right. you can drink whiskey, but you, it's, you can. You can't drink. A, you can't drink a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a different kind of kind of morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so what inspired you to to open this particular brewery, Silicon? Well, um, 
my wife and I live in Virginia Beach, and we were actually looking to open in Virginia Beach. And so, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with this part of the world, it's called Hampton Roads or Coastal Virginia, and it's a it's a sort of a conglomeration of a bunch of different cities that are independent. But Virginia Beach is kind of the big boy, and uh, that's where the ocean is, and that's where there's a lot of tourism. Um, and we were looking to do something near my house, but I couldn't find the right building. So um, oddly enough, Norfolk uh, Economic Development had heard we were opening a brewery, and this was when it's still cool to open a brewery, right? There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, we were the, the third brewery to open in Norfolk. So they called us and said, hey, we hear you're looking to open a brewery. Have you thought about Norfolk? And I, I really hadn't because I didn't spend a lot of time in Norfolk. But I started going around with these guys and I found this building. And uh, it's a great building. All right. I don't know if you said, whoops, our music is starting up today. Cancel okay. it. Um, <laughs> sorry. I don't know why that is. Um, and so, yeah, then I said, oh, hey, Norfolk, why not? Why not? There's not a lot of breweries here. There's O'Connor and Smart Mouth and, and uh, another guy, uh, Mike, who was getting ready to open a place called Bold Mariner, which opened right around the same time yeah. we did, right down the street. And, uh, you know, so we were the first four breweries. And O'Connor had been here for seven, well, five years by the time we opened. They're celebrating their seventh or eighth anniversary. So anyway, I get back to the what you answer. Why did I decide to open a brewery here? That that's why I okay. like Norfolk. I saw the potential for Norfolk. Norfolk is kind of a it's an up and coming city, but yeah. it's got had a lot of you know downsides to it too. Um, but I remember when Richmond was like Norfolk, and people were like, oh, "This place is the worst." And now North uh, Richmond's yeah, just an awesome place to live with you know some of the best breweries in the state, some of the best restaurants in the state, and I, I see that for Norfolk. So it was a a sell for Norfolk. Now, why did we open this brewery um, and the types of beers that we made, which you yeah. know, we'll talk about? Yep. Um, I like all kinds of beer. There's a couple of beers that I don't always go to, but I'll be honest with you, it's kind of getting tired of IPAs, yep. right? Um, there's a lot of fantastic IPAs out there, um, but there's a lot of bad IPAs out there too. <laughs> and, and what I found is that, you know, you can make an IPA by hopping the shit out of a, of a, of a fairly mediocre beer. The other thing about IPAs is that, you know, you have two or three of them in a row, you're not telling the difference between them. So what I just had said was that I wanted to open a brewery that focused on well-balanced beers. Um, well, we had a couple of, uh, of uh, recipes, um, you know, going back. I, I went to professional brewing school, but I was also a home brewer and I know how to distill. So, you know, I had a sort of a background in formulation of recipes um, and I knew the types of things I wanted to make and what I didn't want to make, IPAs. Um, so yeah, that's what we, we, we set out to do. So um, you can probably see him in the background there, but he's super busy. That's Matt Topping. He's our head brewer. Um, I hooked up with him over Pro Brewer. You know, that's kind of like Match.com for breweries. <laughs> um, and so you post, hey, listen, looking to open a brewery in Virginia. And Matt actually happened to be working at Maui Brewing in Maui, right? And that's a pretty sweet gig. Uh, but he'd actually been there about three years and was interested in coming home to Virginia. He's from Charlottesville. So... You know, it just happened to work out well for, for the two of us. So Matt uh, came on board with me in the early planning stages, eventually moved back from uh, from Maui to this area. And, you know, I was in the midst of building the space, jackhammering things up, nailing up things. Matt came in, started helping out with the brewery, picked out the equipment, got everything up and running. And we also shared that kind of view of well-balanced beers, Let's you know, stay away from IPAs. Not because we hate them. Or let's, let's be sure to say that because therapy will get really angry when you say, I'm not an IPA fan. Yeah. I am an IPA fan, but I like good IPAs. <laughs> um, but we, we had a similar thought that, listen, there's so many IPAs out there, you, you know, 
uh, I used to say you can't swing a dead cat and not hit yeah. an IPA. It's so, the trend right now. Right, so we don't need to make an IPA, right? There's so many good IPAs out there, and there are a lot of good IPAs out there, that we don't need to just put another IPA on the market or another six IPAs on the market. So we started focusing um, on some you know easier to drink, well-balanced beers, which I think we excel at. We've won a couple of awards um, uh, with the, the Virginia Craft Brewers go for this. And also making some really damn good darker beers, some beers that we think were kind of ignored, some malt-forward beers. So we bang out some really good uh, German beers, some great Belgian beers, um, and we do a Scottish-style Scotch ale. Uh, we do an English pub ale. So that's where that's you know our sweet spot, making beers that other people aren't making. Very nice. Now that, that's perfect because that my next question was going to tell me about your current lineup. What do you have? That and you I really just babbled, like? babbled on. Oh, no, please, yeah. that's what we want. Well, uh, right now we're we're in the winter. I don't know when this is going to get shown, but it's it's uh, early February. Okay, great. Hey, <laughs> um, and so we are right in the midst of a lot of our darker beers, which people love. So we opened in December of 2015. So we came out right out of the gate with some dark beers. Uh, and some of those we brewed every year. So this would be the third year brewing dark beers. And we've done some new ones. So one of the, the, the new beers that we did, um, and it's, it's really, really good. We're almost sold out of it, was a collaboration with a Mexican brewery that's run by a friend of mine named Fernando, who I met in brewing school. And, you know, you always talk when you have friends, especially breweries, hey, let's do a collaboration. Right? That's, yeah. Everybody does collaborations. And we, we love collaborations, and that's part of the, the reason I love this industry is it's so collaborative. But I didn't just want to do another collaboration. So I called Fernando up, and I said, hey, you know what? I want to do a Mexican-style beer, but I don't want to do a Mexican-style beer. I want to do a Mexican beer. You know, Tell me something that you guys would make down there. And oddly enough, they drink a lot of lagers down there because it's so hot. But we, we settled on doing um, an oatmeal stout with chocolate and chipotle. And we got some of that chocolate and chipotle from, from Fernando. And he and I were on Skype and on the phone kind of banging out the recipe. And he's like, come down, come down, we'll brew it here. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of money, Fernando, unless you're paying. So uh, you know, we turned that recipe over to Matt, we brewed it here, and that beer's been fantastic. And we're almost sold out of it. So that's one example of something a little bit different that we've done. Uh, Phonics Chocolate Hazelnut Brown Ale was one of the first winter beers we made. We actually had a party here where we invited people. We watched space balls and cracked hazelnuts uh, and then roasted them in the uh, oven of the bakery next door. Um, uh, we made Quiet Storm, which we ended up winning silver for uh, silver for stouts, the Virginia Craft Brewers Guild, which is an imperial milk stout. Uh, we have a variation on that called Dead Calm that we take that Irish, um, we take that uh, Imperial Milk Stout and we put into Irish whiskey barrels. Remember I said I'm really big into maturing uh, and we don't just use bourbon. So I've got a great friend named Jack Teeling. Him and his brother own Teeling Whiskey Distillery in Dublin. And when we opened, he sent us eight of his kegs as a, uh, as a welcome gift. And he keeps sending them to us. So we do uh, a lot of things with Irish whiskey as opposed to bourbon. And what we found is that Irish whiskey is really soft. And it adds kind of the booziness that people expect, but doesn't overwhelm the beer with bourbon. So we've done a few things with that. We've done things in rum barrels. We've done so... Yeah, we're, we're always experimenting. We've, we've done a lot of wine barrels, too, and I'd like to do more. But they're tougher to get for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Which, uh, which of the beers you currently have, or all of, all of your beers, which one is your favorite and why? Well, the one that I probably drink the most is Copamanis, which is a year-round stout, right? That was one of the things I said, yeah, nobody has a year-round stout except for Guinness. Let's make a year-round stout. 
So it's a coffee milk stout. We oh, call geez. it a latte stout. It's really good. Uh, it was actually a finalist in the GABF. We, we found out after it. We didn't win anything, but you know, finalist is not so bad. Um, but we make it with organic Sumatran coffee that we get from a local uh, coffee shop uh, called Java Surf. The owner there is a friend of mine. And we spent hours going through different coffees and saying, you know, what are the characteristics of, of coffee? And they're really different when you start getting into it. So we settled on Sumatran, which is prepared differently than a lot of the other ones from Costa Rica or wherever in Nicaragua. And uh, it has a more earthy flavor. And I thought this is going to stand up well to, to a, a stout. And we, we developed a, a, a little process for cold steeping the beer because one of the things that I don't like about some uh, coffee stouts is that they, they get too much bitterness out of the coffee beans. And just think about it, I mean, everybody uses Keurig now, but if you ever use a French press and you leave it in there too long in the water, it leaches out the, the, um, the oils and the bitterness from the coffee beans, yeah. and you don't want that. And then you yeah. drink a coffee stout and it's bitter. But we didn't want that. So we cold steeped the coffee, added the coffee on the cold side, and what we ended up with is an incredibly smooth, really tasty, coffee-full beer that's still light-bodied. And so we make that as a year-round stout. And I drink that one because I like stouts year-round. A um, couple of things we just came out with, which are interesting, and, and I, I like them. Uh, we came out with an amber ale, but we put tamarind and orange peel in it. And most people go, well, what the hell is a tamarind? Right? Because they haven't had that flavor before. And it's a really interesting flavor. It's kind of like a, a sour orange. But it's not a sour beer, so it's a little bit tart. And, um, you know, we said, and that'll be interesting in a beer, especially in Amber Ale. So we, we did that. We've done a tart cherry ale, Belgian Amber Ale with Belgian yeast, and that was good. So it's some of the weirder stuff that we do, I tend to like at any one time, and I'll be <laughs> drinking. Um, we've got a fantastic quad that we're almost out of that, you know, re retailers are, 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 are banging. And so if I want something a little bit stronger because it's 11.5%, I go with that one, and it's, it's really good. So you mentioned um, one of them already, but you've got some awards out there. And yeah. Talk a little bit about some of the awards your uh, your breweries won. Well, the first year that we uh, submitted to the Virginia Craft Brewers Guild, so um, we're members of the Virginia Craft Brewers Guild, which is uh, a guild of all the brewers, or most of the brewers in the state of Virginia, um, you know, and we, we kind of trade ideas and we focus on making sure legislation uh, it helps breweries and doesn't hurt them. And, and it's a really great organization. Well, every year they do uh, Virginia Craft Brewers uh, Cup for the Craft Brewers Festival, which is a, a big event every August. So um, we entered this year just two, we entered four of our beers, and one of them, our Passion Fruit Goza, won gold for the best sour in the state. And that's quickly becoming one of our best-selling beers. We were a little surprised because it's not an overtly sour beer. You know, it's a, it's a tart Goza. Um, but it sells great, won an award. You know, I can't argue with that. As I mentioned, uh, Quiet Storm, our Imperial Milk Stout, won silver uh, in the stout category. We were real proud of that. Um, there's a couple of, um, you know, sort of public choices awards that we've won for our NFK, which is our India Pale Lager, for our CBPB, which is our um, English pub-style beer. Um, Copamanis won the judges and the people's choice for best out in Norfolk. That was pretty pretty good. Um, Nunya, a chocolate raspberry brown ale that we did during the summer, won the brewer's third place for the brewer's choice in the 757 barrels. So 
you know, and I love People's Choice Awards, they're fantastic, but when we win awards from professional judges and from other brewers, that really means something to you. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you've, you've talked about this a little bit, I think, but I want to hear like the straight up answer. So, you're, on your website, you've got some things that are pretty unique. You've got, you're, you're just different, you're not micro, you're not macro. Talk a little bit about what these concepts mean to you and how sure. they define your brewery. Well, you know, we talked about the just different a little bit before, you know, starting off not doing IPAs. I've actually gotten shit from people. <laughs> like, well, they don't, they don't do IPAs like we're violating the law or killing baby seals or something. <laughs> I think it's funny. But, you know, again, it's all about choice. So one of the things that makes us different, and Coelacanth is the name of the brewery, and it's, and it, you know, hey, I'm stuck with it. It's the name that I chose. But, uh, the reason I called it coelacanth is, in case you didn't know, a coelacanth is this ancient fish that was supposed to have died out at the time of the dinosaurs. Sorry, my phone is yelling at us. Um, and, uh, but what they discovered in 19, I mean, 44 million years ago, this thing was supposed to have been extinct. That's what the scientists thought. It was just, you know, like a Tyrannosaurus rex. Um, but 1938, a fisherman pulled one up out of the ocean, and then scientists subsequently found out that they're still alive. And nothing eats them because they're big, they're armor-plated, they taste horrible, apparently. Uh, so everybody just leaves them alone, and they just swim through the Indian Ocean. But uh, that said two things that I based the brewery on. One, we're going to try to do some styles that not everybody's doing, which is getting harder. With 5,000 breweries, everybody, you know, people are yeah. pulling out. You know, beer made with beets and, and things. Um, but, you know, what we, we did want to focus on, like one of the first beers we did was a Bach, just a regular old Bach, because nobody makes a Bach anymore. I mean, people think of Shiner Bach, yep. not really a Bach. Um, they think of Doppel Bach, they think of, you know. Um, so we just made a regular old Bach, and it was delicious and, you know, real, you know, true to German style. So, again, trying to get some beer styles that are, that are not often seen and do them well. And then the other part of it is a coelacanth is different. There's no other fish like it in the world. It, all its cousins died out millions of years ago. Um, and we wanted to say, well, we're just different. So our first flagship beer was a rosemary lemon wheat. Now, a lot of people make a wheat beer, but they're usually making a Hefeweizen. I don't particularly like Hefeweizen style. So I said, no, let's just make an American style wheat, but let's put rosemary in it. People said, rosemary? Who, who the hell puts rosemary in beer? You know, keep in mind, herbs are not often used in beer. Might see a couple of basil beers, not a lot of rosemary beers. So you know what, if you do it right, it could work. Um, rosemary can be a real overwhelming flavor, so you have to scale it down. Uh, and then we wanted to make a lemon, but not like lemon, lemon tart lemon. You know, so we use lemon peel just to give it a sort of a lemony burn. And that is our best-selling beer, right? And it's different. And now we've seen, you know, lemon beers pop up and rosemary beers pop up. And I'm not saying we started a trend, but we're not doing what everybody does. So that's why I say we're just different. Yeah. So, you know, we just try to say, and we're not being different just for the sake of being different. We're being different because we want to be true to ourselves and go, what if we put tamarind in a beer, yeah. right? It's not like we're putting chicken nuggets in a beer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like it gives you the opportunity to try things that maybe a lot of other breweries aren't going to try or won't try. Well, uh, you know, it, it depends on the brewery, and 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 there's lots of creativity out there. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of copycats out there, and I'm not talking about copycatting me. I'm talking about, oh hey, we saw that those guys did a beer. Those guys, whoever, not me. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying that. They did a beer with. I'm going to do a beer. With, so all of a sudden, and you know, you see a bunch of beers with passion fruit come out, or you see a bunch of beers with, you know, you, you name it. 
And, and again, it's not copycat per se. It might be following trends, right? I mean, we made our passion fruit goza because Matt came from Hawaii and we wanted to make a German beer, but we wanted to give it a topical twist. And, you know, mango's a little bit played out. Papaya doesn't really, you know, stand up in a beer. Yeah. So we said, you know, what's a flavor that is delicious, but not everybody knows? Passion fruit. So most people you give that beer to and they go, oh, is this a grapefruit beer? No, passion fruit goza. So, you know, you start to see trends in things. Um, and and, and uh, I sound like I'm talking around it, but, you know, there's some people who kind of set the standard. I mean, look, like, look at Dogfish Head. I mean, they've done yep. some crazy things. Yep. And usually they're the first print and people go, why, why would you ever do that? But then you go, oh, that's selling? Yeah, let, me, let me make a beer with, you know, you name it in there. Yeah. Um, so they are a trendsetter and people try to, you know, and, but they're willing to take risks and say, hey, what if we put this in a beer? Maybe it sells, maybe it doesn't. They try it, yep. great beers. Um, and that, that's what we're trying to do. We're saying, you know, what if we're not putting cocoa puffs into, you know, beer or like I said, you know, we're not doing crazy things. We're saying, what would taste good? What would be different? Um, you know, what's going to make people go? I'd like to try that. And that's what we do. Okay. Cool. And that uh, macro, micro? So the macro, uh, we say we're not nano, we're not macro, and you know, obviously macro is, is a bad thing, right? You know, right. Budweiser's macro. Yeah. But we've got a 15-barrel brew house, and we started out with that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with somebody who starts small and grows, but you know, it, some brew pubs start out with a one-barrel system, and that's great if your just plan is to serve beer out of the, of the brew house. But it had always been our plan to try to get us a f- small foothold in distribution. Okay. Um, you know, we never expect to become big. We're going to be real happy if we can make some inroads into parts of Virginia. Right? Right. You know, we just started distributing in Richmond, and people like our beer there. That's fantastic. And you know, we're going to try to move into the Outer Banks fairly soon. Yeah, and that, that's a comfort level for us. You know, we, on a 15-barrel system, you can get close to making enough beer to satisfy your initial area. So when I say not nano, not really trying to insult anybody. What I'm saying is that we're not just here to be a brew pub. We're not just here to serve beers. Right. We want to make beers, and we make plenty of beers that will never go out because right. that brings people in and, you know, they, they try it. So, so your specialty beers are pretty much tapped here, and then you've got your beers that you're canning and, and, and uh, kegging. And, and kegging, and then, you know, occasionally, like the Quiet Storm or the Quad I talked about, we'll put into large format bottles, and they'll go out to brew, um, you know, especially bottle shops. Um, what's interesting, though, is we get asked more and more, right? So when we make a beer like Against the Wall, which is that Mexican Chipotle stout I talked about, um, you know, everybody wants everything in package. So we make right. it, people come in and like, when are you canning that? It's like, well, you know, canning's an expensive proposition. <laughs> you know, just because you can, it doesn't mean it gets out in the marketplace. But what it tells us is that, you know, there is demand for interesting beers and people like them. You can always come and get a growler of it. But we can't and won't put everything into packaging. Right. Because the point of putting things into packaging is not just to sell them here. It's to get them to your distributor and get them into stores. And, you know, anybody who's even remotely uh, close to the beer industry knows that it's the rare brewery that has more than four beers in a particular store. You know, stores don't want to take... 20 beers from from one company or 10 beers most stores have two beers if you're lucky from a local brewery so but you know we'd like to see more of our beers out there but yeah it, 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 it's the marketplace and you know if we can get one can of beer into a big retailer that's pretty cool and that yeah that sets up for the next question perfectly because what what is your 
what is your dream? What do you want to see this Coelacanth uh, Brewing Company? What do you want to see it become? What do you, what's your future? You know, it's I don't know anymore. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yes, sir. Um, it's it's real tough to do long term planning in this industry. Um, the, the hard liquor industry used to be a little bit different. I mean, you know, Scotch companies don't come out with new flavors. It's here's Glenlivet. We're making it 150 years and. You know, but then they start getting all you know. Let's put this one in this keg. But you haven't seen like the proliferation of vodka flavors yet. There's no apple flavored whiskey. Although actually, there probably is some apple flavored brandy at this point uh, or bourbon. Um, so what you have to uh, do is be ready for the fluctuations, right? Because my when I did my business plan for this place, it was a three to five year business plan. We're already in year two. We've met most of the goals, mostly because of planning about distribution. Some of them were ahead of. But when you go, now I want to do this, that's where somebody else messes up your business plan, right? right? I didn't know. So when we started, we were around the 100th brewery in the state of Virginia. I, we weren't the hundredth, but like that's how many were out there when, when we started, um, you know, when we were in development. There's now something like 220 with tons more in planning. And that, that throws a curve into anybody's plan um, because I don't know what those guys' five-year plan is, right? If they think they're going to open today and get a distributor to pick them up and then they're going to be taken over taps, it's going to be really hard for them to meet those goals. So it's a long way to answer. It's kind of tough. So what we're going to do is just to continue to do our best to produce, you know, the best beers that we can. And there's still a lot of people who haven't heard of us or can't pronounce the name. So yeah, <laughs> we want to we want to get past that. But those uh, we want those people to go. And I'm, and I'm getting more and more of those people, which is great. I love your beer. You know, I introduced my friend to this beer. I sent this. You know, I get calls from people in you know, Pennsylvania and New York asking when we're going to be there, mostly because we're in a touristy area. So right. people come down, they try the beer, they love it, and then they think, oh, well, I'll get it in New York, and that's just not how it works. So, right. you know, and I'm probably not ever going to distribute into New York. That's not in my plan. Right, right. right around here is will suit me. So I'm kind of beating around the question, but my my three-year, five-year planning where I want to be really will change depending on, on on the climate. You know, people are constantly talking about a, a beer bubble, craft beer bubble, this thing's going to collapse. I, I don't see that doom and gloom. What I, I don't think it can sustain this growth. And like I said, if you're planning a brewery now as a friend, not as a potential competitor, I really would tell someone, you know, you sure? You know, what's your plan? If you want to have a smaller system and serve and just get everything out, uh, you can probably make a really nice living, you know, and not work for the man anymore. But if your plan is to take the world by storm and, you know, when somebody comes in and says, oh, we're going to do a thousand barrels year one, I'm like, oh, okay. Get back to me in a year. Let's see how that went. Uh, or, yeah, you know, we're going we're gonna to open our own distributorship and then we're going to be in Target. I say, well, small distributorships don't get into those big box stores. And you're going to, you know, so it's, you got to play it by ear and 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 think about the business just as much as making good beer. Because if things don't pan out, it's it's going to be because your plan didn't work. It's going to be because people said, "Hey, we're now going to drink sherry." Right. Craft uh, sherry is the new thing. There's going to be all sorts of things which impact you and your ability to deliver on the plan. So, yeah. What's my plan for five years? I get back to me in five years, and we'll see what happens. We'll be back. <laughs> Come back in five years and ask you then.
Um, one of the things that you mentioned on your website uh, is that you're the first in the Hampton Roads area for quite a few different uh, environmental kinds yeah. of certifications and so forth. Talk a little bit about what that means to you and why you wanted to go that route. Well, I mean, so the, the first thing is that if you're not worried about the environment, you're not paying attention. Um, I've got kids, those kids are gonna have kids someday, and I don't wanna continue to be you know, contributing to bad stuff for people down the line. Um, so I think it's important that whatever you do, you're paying attention to things. So when I found out about the, um, the, the certification for green breweries, and when we did that, there were only 11 in the state. That's out of like 150 breweries at that time. Um, and so I thought, well, this must be hard, but let me look into it. And it's not that hard, to be honest with you. You just have to put some sustainability efforts in. You have to show that you're making a difference. So, for example, we don't serve any plastic cups. Sounds like a little thing, but you get a lot of people, you know, including when we hand out water. We don't sell plastic water bottles because those just end up in landfills. What we do is, you can't see it right now, we fill a keg with water, we put cups out, and people come and pump their own water, which they love. Every once in a while someone thinks they're getting free beer. But, <laughs> um, you know, we, we use uh, renewable energy credits, so we do everything that we can to ensure that our footprint is as small as possible. You know, little things that every brewery does, and I, and I highly recommend that every brewery tries to do these things. I mean, just recycling your grains, right? Instead of just getting rid of them, find a farmer, give them the farmer. We end up giving all of our grains to farmers, and in exchange, we get honey and eggs. So I haven't gotten any steaks out of it, but I'm, I'm waiting for that. But uh, there's just, it, it's easier than people think to make less of an impact on the environment. And what we found out is that we were happy to do it. So we won the Green Travel uh, Leadership Award last year, and we just found out we're winning it again this year. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it makes you feel good, and you're doing the right thing. How, how, how does that go wrong? Right. So in the, uh, this, this space, and then viewers probably can't see all of it, but um, there'll be pictures and stuff too, but this space is cool. This is one of the coolest places I've seen. Thank you. What was your inspiration? How did you, how did you decide on this location of all locations in Norfolk, and how did you design this, this space for the taproom? Well, I give a lot of credit for the design of the space to my wife. So um, she, she's really good and said, don't do that. Why are you doing that? <laughs> um, and, but what we both agreed on is we wanted a place that was a chill place to, to, to and we didn't know we were going to get that, right? I mean, you can say, yeah, this is, but that's what the, the feedback we hear from people all the time is that, you know, I like going there because it's just a nice place to hang out. We don't blast the music. The music right now is louder because we're, we're working. Yeah, I got to get my phone and turn this off. This can't be good for your audio. Um, you know, a place that people can come and chat. We don't have TVs, right? People go, oh, you're going to have the big game. And I'm like, no, because you know what? Sports are great. But I want you to be able to come with your friend and sit here and have a conversation. Um, and if somebody else is watching the game that you're not interested in, they're yelling, <laughs> you know, it kind of takes away. Yeah. So we, we want to be not only a great brewery, but we want to be a neighborhood place. So that goes to why we chose this place as well. We're in the middle of kind of a shopping district, but this isn't a storefront. This is a 70-year-old warehouse that has been a bunch of things in its life. Um, but we're near neighborhoods, so people can walk up here. We get people biking up here. You know, you don't have to go to some godforsaken, you know, industrial park. Not there's anything wrong with that, but that's where a lot of breweries end up because the rent is cheap. Um, we wanted a place that was, you know, there, right in the middle of where people were. So 
you know, there's a yarn store three doors down. We get a lot of guys who drop their wives off there and come here. <laughs> there's a baseball academy down the street. We get a lot of parents who drop the kids off and come here. Um, plus, we're in the middle of a ton of restaurants. It's another thing that makes us different. We don't do food trucks. Um, not that there's anything wrong with food trucks, but we want to support the local businesses who put their money into this neighborhood like we did. And so we have um, menus from them and they're all around us. And you can get basically any kind of food that you can think of here in five minutes. Cool. So, you know, makes us different, but it also helps us because people will come here and then go after dinner and then come back here and they don't have to plan their dinners ahead and they don't have to go, well, I don't want to go there because, you know, what do we do for dinner? It's it, it, it met everything. The only thing is it's just getting too small for us now. Okay. Know? As our production picks up, we're only about 5,000 square feet. There's a, uh, something there, something getting built there. We don't have a lot of opportunity for expansion right now. That's the biggest flaw with this building. It's a, it's a good problem to have, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is, in your process of openings, you've been open in a little over two years, you said, right? Yeah, we just celebrated our second anniversary December 10th of this year, this past year. Thank you. Uh, what was your biggest challenge when you were opening, and what was your biggest surprise in your success? Well, our biggest challenge was parking. And not because parking is bad, but because parking is tough. And what I mean by that is, I said we're surrounded by a bunch of businesses. Well, the landowner who owns all of that other land, but not this building and not the one next to us, had been trying to buy this building for the longest time and wanted to make it unrentable, quite honestly. And, you know, for a lot of retail places, it would have been unrentable, but it was perfect for us. I mean, this, when you, this place is like a palace compared to what I took over. I mean, it was dark and scary and freezing cold, um, but I saw the potential, but we only have street parking. So this guy tried to say, well, you don't gonna have enough parking, and so he tried to balk us from taking over this building again because he wanted to buy it but it didn't work the city said you know breweries are great we want them plenty of street parking but he owns all the parking lots here and makes damn sure that people don't park there which is interesting because all the re the, the retailers around it who rent from him love the fact that we're here right because there's restaurateurs and like i said the yarn store yeah go over there have a beer yeah. we've had events with them so all the people who rent from him were in support of us right. and he yeah. wasn't so anyway, so that was our biggest challenge, but the city came through for us and said, you know what, Ghent needs a brewery, and, the, and you know, the people need it, and we had really good support from everyone, so it was a challenge that actually, in the end, helped us because it gave us a little bit of notoriety even before we opened. Very cool. Yeah. Um, surprises? I, you know, we haven't had a lot of surprises, to be honest with you, mostly because we haven't had to pivot too much, right? We didn't say, hey, we're going to make a lot of IPAs, and then go, what? Nope. You know, right. IPAs are on that. So, you know, we kind of stuck with our plan, um, did what we wanted to, um, you know, I, I, not having a, a great outdoor seating area because we're in a, a traditional you know downtown area is probably one of the biggest surprises because I thought it would be easier to put tables out there and it took us a year to get that approved by the city oh, wow. that's crazy and the back we've got trains running all oh, yeah. the time all day long all day long so um, you know we can't use that space out there so one of the surprises uh, was and it was probably because I didn't think about it when we took over the building that well you know we're a little limited like I said in our ability to go that way can't go that way can't go this way right now so the surprise was how much how soon we would need more space I guess yeah that's true are people able to bring like dogs and things and be out front out front yes so and that's one of the things that we discovered um, it, it was funny because <laughs> 
people blame me for dogs not being allowed in the state of Virginia, which is really weird. State law. It's a it's state everywhere. law. It's always been that way. <laughs> um, but so we used to let dogs in here like everybody else. And then um, we were so crowded that I thought dogs were going to get hurt. You know, I mean, people have their dogs on the leashes and they're over, and we've got staff running up and down, and someone's going to step on a dog, and the dog will bite them, or someone will trip. So we said, you know what, on Fridays and Saturdays, we just can't allow dogs in here. I mean, we got a lot of space, but not a lot of walking space. Um, So we took slack for that, because everybody allowed dogs. And then our uh, Virginia Department of Agriculture person, who, you know, they inspect us, and they keep us on the straight and narrow, and she's great. She goes, you're never allowed to have dogs in a brewery. And I'm like, what? And they're like, no, no, that has been illegal forever. Can't have dogs in any place that prepares or serves food. Just can't do it. And we said, oh, didn't know that. My bad. We're going to stop it. So the, uh, the Virginia Department of Agriculture realized that a lot of breweries in Hampton Roads didn't know that. And they sent out a memorandum saying, you can't do that. And we were the first to comply. Then all of a sudden, somebody started saying it's their fault that dogs are not Anyway, I guess that was a little bit of a challenge, too. But yes, so we have that space out there. We give treats to dogs. We put water out for dogs. Unfortunately, in the winter, it's a little cold. So if people want to come, you know, a couple of breweries might have nicer, bigger areas for their dogs. But dogs are always welcome out there. So what can I Love Virginia Beer and our listeners do to help Silicon Brewing Company grow and succeed and, and keep going? Well, buy our beer. That's what I said. For and, sure, definitely uh, buy the beer. Which, which I think is easy because I think we make great beer. Uh, they can learn to pronounce Cielacan. <laughs> right? So it's Cielacan. Yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of Coelacanth and I totally understandable. I mean, believe me. Sometimes I, I really go, hmm, maybe Erskine Brewing would have been better. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think what happens is when people finally try us, they're really surprised by the breadth and complexity of the beers that we're making here. And, and they like it. And I, well, I can honestly say at any one time, we will have at least one beer for anyone, including people who don't like beer. You know, people like cider. I give them the passion fruit goes and say it's a little bit luck. You know, we get wine lovers in here who get dragged here by their friends. Um, we, you know, for dark beer lovers, we're like a mecca. Um, so you know, just give us a try, and and uh, and if you like us, ask for us at your local watering hole. Awesome. And what um, what anything that you want people to know about Seal Camp Brewing Company that we haven't talked about already? I don't think so. We covered a lot of stuff, Shane. Did. Um, I that we're different, um, and we're not different just to be different. We're different because we want to be. Perfect. You know, and we want to want to do things, and we love feedback from people. We love people coming in here. And, you know, still, the most exciting thing for me is when I'm outside and I see somebody with a coelacanth shirt on or a sticker on their car, and I don't know that phrase. Like, not my mom, you know? <laughs> I, that's really cool. And so get some stickers and put them on your car. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Coelacanth Brewing Company. Check us out at I Love Virginia Be- uh, VirginiaBeer.com and follow us on Facebook. And thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Don't forget to go to ILoveVirginiaBeer.com and check out all of our beer gear, including sweatshirts with a koozie built in, hats with a bottle opener in the bill, and much, much more.